This morning we go to John chapter 18. John 18 is where we head as we wrap up our series this morning entitled Genius, where we have been looking at the topic, uh, hopefully in a unique way for some of you, uh, about the genius of Jesus and what that means, what that looks like. As we wrap it up today, uh, next week we begin a series called Florida Man. <laughs> yeah, it's just what you think it is. And we'll be talking about some other things. But today, by way of review, this is where we have been. We said a real genius thinks in spiritual terms, not material terms. They think optimistically, not pessimistically. They think with hope and not despair. They think about the eternal, not just the temporary. And that fleshes out where we are in our community, what we say in our conversations, and what you do in our calling. And along the way, we have said that kind of thinking then is genius, and it does transfer to you. See, Jesus is, without a doubt, at the top of the genius list. No doubt about it. No one has affected history like he has. No one has changed the world like he has, and yet he doesn't show up when people think about the great geniuses of all time. He stands alone at the top of that list. The beauty and the genius of Jesus' genius is that he teaches us to be human again, and his genius is transferable. In other words, we're called to become like him, and we get a part of that when we start rewiring our thinking, when we start thinking about who it is that we are created to be. The Bible talks about it. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we've been trying to get your minds to work a little bit. Now, I know it's 1115, so it's a little bit later for you guys. Nine o'clock crowd had trouble with this. But I expect more from you. It's later in the day. A man pushes his car until he reaches a hotel. When he arrives, he realizes he's bankrupt. What happened? Now, this is fairly simple. This is a simple problem. Let's do a little ciphering on this thing. You get this thing worked out. What has happened is the guy's playing Monopoly. He ends up in a place with a hotel. He doesn't have enough money to pay. He's bankrupt. It's pretty simple. The dead giveaway is the little car here, which is the free parking car that you find on the Monopoly board. Simple stuff. Now, the, now the nine car cloud, they didn't get it. Some of you now are still thinking, Monopoly. That's a game, in case you didn't know. Um, but to keep, keep kind of, I want to wrap this series up. I don't want you thinking here. This is another little puzzle. Now, I drew it. I diagrammed it to make it easier for you. Hopefully, it will be. Forrest left home when he was running. He ran away and turned left. He ran the same distance and turned left again. He ran the same distance and turned left again. And when he got home, there were two masked men. Who were they? The catcher and the umpire. He left home. He was, thank you, Dan. He left home. He was playing baseball. Maybe we should extend the Genius Series for a few weeks. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe we need to keep working on it. Let's try again. What makes this number unique? It's a long number. That's not what makes it unique. See if you figure it out. It's unique in that the first letter of each one of the numbers is in alphabetical order. 
what the number lays out. That's what sets the number apart. That's what makes it unique. Most number combinations don't do that. And I know that that went through to you because I know that you weren't going to get that one. So I gave you a bonus here. And this is going to be, this is more of a language thing. Is the capital of Kentucky pronounced, and you can vote on this, show of hands, is it Louisville? 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 Show of hands? Frankfurt. The capital of Kentucky is Frankfurt. Um, and so for all of you that, that you got that wrong, shame on you. All right, now, that being said, today, uh, each one of those questions reminds us, that questions sometimes are like a well. And we're going to dig into that well today as we go to John chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 28 through 40 with a Bible study entitled, Can You Handle the Truth? Can you handle the truth? Because the right question becomes like a well because it causes us to dig deeper and deeper. It causes us to move past and dig past our assumptions, our values, our motives. Questions can clarify and expose things that we not, didn't even know were there. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus always had the ability, no matter what conversation he was in, to control the narrative. Jesus was always able to take what was ever going on and, 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 and move the conversation back where it needed to be. And often he would use a question to turn that conversation. It's amazing how many times that Jesus answered a question with a question. Or when he was asked for an explanation, he offered a question designed to get people to think and to get them to dig. I want you to understand that we live in a culture where we never let the truth get in the way of the facts that we choose to believe. Most people have a certain set of facts that they believe, and no matter what the truth is, they're going to keep believing their facts. Don't believe it? Go home and turn on the news. Watch it for 30 minutes, and then turn and go to another news channel. Watch that for 30 minutes, and you will hear two versions of the same story and try to wonder to yourself, which one is true? Which set of facts is true? Because, see, we decide what we want our facts to be. And because we hold on to those facts so hard, we never really care about the truth anymore. But here's what I know about truth. Truth should and does stand alone. And truth is untouchable. Truth is far too precious to be held in the hands of men. And if you want the truth, you've got to ask the right questions. Jesus told us that. He said, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek. And you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. And so when we think about truth, it's important to know what truth is not. Truth is not simply whatever works. That's pragmatism. Uh, an ends versus means type of approach. In reality, lies can appear to work, but they're still lies and they're not true. Truth is not simply what is coherent or understandable because a group of people can sit in a room and come up with a narrative or a story or a conspiracy and as long as they stick to the story and tell the story, it might sound like truth, but that does not make it true. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Unfortunately, bad news can also be true. Truth is not what is comprehensive. A lengthy, detailed presentation still gets you to a false conclusion sometimes. It doesn't matter if you talk it to death, you can still end up in the wrong spot. Truth is not simply what is believed. 
a lie can be believed. You can believe a lie and it's still a lie at the end of the day. And truth is not what is publicly proved. And what I mean by that is truth uh, can be privately known. I could say there is a buried treasure. I know where it is. And you could say, well, I don't know where it is, so there's no treasure. And you can believe that all that you want. But at the end of the day, if there is a treasure and I know where it is and I can go dig it up, whether you believe that treasure is there or not has nothing to do with the reality of that treasure. And so there are some truths that publicly may not be able to be proved. Today we tackle the topic of truth, obviously. And there it is, a clip from a film. Um, the film was entitled A Few Good Men with Demi Moore. And um, Tom Cruise is talking to Jack Nicholson in that film. And Nicholson utters a line that just resonates over and over and over again. If you've never seen the clip, here it is. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I can handle the truth! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You can't handle the truth! You can't handle the truth! I want the truth! Greg, you can't handle the truth! You want the truth? You want the truth? You can't handle the truth! You can't handle the truth! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! We want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You can't handle the truth! You can't handle the truth! I can handle the truth! Because you can't handle the truth! You want the truth, Kenneth? You want the truth? I can't handle the truth. We just want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. Because most parents want the truth, but they can't handle the truth. If the person looks like a celebrity, example, Jack Nicholson, use this to help your pitch. Example, you can't handle the pit. Don't tell me where to stand sounds like uh, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth! What? I'm sorry, I panicked. It was the first thing that came into my mind. You can't handle the truth! Sir, I am not interested in your Jack Nicholson impressions. You can't handle the truth. It's one of those lines that's repeated over and over again. Everybody knows it. Uh, it's been parodied. We laugh about it, uh, but the reality, and there's some reality in that, a lot of us just can't handle the truth. And so today, here's what's getting ready to happen. We're going to jump into a passage of scripture to wrap up this genius series. If you're with us on a regular basis, you know that what will happen is I'll teach, we get to the end, and I'll say this. I'll say, now here's your now what. Some of you will go for your notes, others you just close your Bibles and go to sleep because you know we're going home. It means we're at the end of the service. Now what? We're going to apply it, we're going to get out the door, let's get out of here. Band's going to come back. We're going to do one more song. We're out. When I say now what, you go Today, there's not just one now what. Not just two now what. Three now what. You can't handle the three. I know. And, and, um, and we're going to actually pray before each now what. So in just a couple minutes, I'm going to be talking. All of a sudden, I go, let's pray. And you're going to go, oh, he's done. I'm not done. You got a long way to go when I say it the first time. 
When I say it the second time, you're getting closer to being home. When I say it the third time, that's the time you get ready to start shutting it down and going home for the day. Okay, I just wanted you to know that up front because I want to tell you the truth. That's what I hear. All right. Perhaps the most infamous question about truth, though, was not the clip that you saw. The most important conversation about truth took place between Pontius Pilate and Jesus. And that's the passage we look at today. It is when Pilate was trying to decide whether to execute Jesus or set him free. Pilate didn't want to be put in that position. He did everything he could to force the Jewish leaders to resolve the issue among themselves, but they needed him. And so if you have your Bibles, go to verse 29 of the passage we have this morning. And it says this, So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Stop for just a minute. That is not what Pilate asked. Pilate asked, what charges do you have? And they said, well, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him here. That's not what he said. So they ducked the question. Pilate, in verse 31, says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. And this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death that he was going to die. Now, Pilate is the only one who has the authority to execute Jesus. He is the governor of the territory. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like the Jews. He tolerates the Jews. And if the Jews would just be quiet and leave him alone, he would be happy. He's not happy. He's not happy to be in this situation. He doesn't want a Jewish uprising. He doesn't want to look bad before Caesar. He just wants this problem to end. Pilate is a man with a problem right now. And he's standing in front of a group of people trying, trying to do not necessarily the right thing, but trying just to get out of this situation. It's not that he likes Jesus. Don't get confused by this passage. He's not a fan of Jesus either. Why? Jesus is a Jew. Pilate doesn't like Jews. Jesus is not the exception to that rule. It's just that he likes Jesus more than he likes the other Jews he's dealing with. But he's stuck. And he's trying to figure a way out. And that's part of this conversation. And that sets the backdrop up for three things I want to talk to you about truth. And this is why this matters. We've been talking about how do we live our lives and how do we take all the things that we discovered about the genius of Jesus and start plugging them into our lives and make it happen. How does that really work? Why does that matter as much as we say it does? Because this becomes um, so foundational. And we've been looking at some things, and, and, and many of you shared even in our talking as we've talked about this, um, that we've seen some things that you never knew were in Scripture. We've unpacked this more even on Wednesday evening. If you haven't been with us, um, you might want to go back and listen. We've kind of really done some digging to, to find some things that were there in the passage that we didn't know about. Uh, this is one of those Wednesday evening rotations where I never got to what I wanted to teach. Those notes are still sitting there. It all dealt with the stuff that we were still looking at from Sunday morning. And so when we talk about a deeper dive, that's what we did. But today, the first thing I want you to see about this passage is simply this. I want you to see how to be on the side of truth. How to be on the side of truth. The conversation between Jesus and Pilate is very much like a boxing match. Punch, counterpunch. Point, counterpoint. It is a sparring match, if you will. In verse 33, it says this, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea? Jesus asked, or did others 
talk to you about me. Pilate is annoyed. He is not a Jew. He is trying to figure this out, but he believes that he is above petty religious arguments. And to him, that's what this is. This is a petty religious argument that he's now having to settle because the Jews, he believes, are cowards. Pilate responds, am I a Jew? Pilate replies, your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Again, stop the passage for a minute. This is the judge asking the accused, what did he did? Pilate's the one that's supposed to be deciding this. Pilate's asking Jesus what he did because Pilate doesn't know what he did. Pilate's got nothing on him. Which lets you see the predicament that Pilate is in. And Jesus responds to him, but as he does, he starts to swing the conversation a different way. In verse 36, it says this, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. This answer, of course, implies that Jesus is a king, and we know that. But it establishes again that his kingdom authority comes from another place. And then Pilate says in verse 37, you are a king then, says Pilate. Jesus then makes a statement, and he redirects it to the real issue at hand. He says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I don't know if you've read this passage a lot. I don't know what you do when it comes to your Bible study, but if you don't have that line from Jesus underlined in your Bible, I might suggest to you that it's a good one to underline. Everyone on the side of truth believes in me. It was a powerful statement 2,000 years ago. It is a powerful statement today. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Notice there's no time stamp on that statement. There is no expiration date on that statement. And we live in a world, a culture, where it is painfully obvious that many people are really not on the side of truth. We have a culture that is full of people that are trying to live their lives and they're not listening to Jesus and as a result they're trying to live and build their lives and their futures not on the truth of God. Jesus said it. He said it clearly. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Nothing's changed. If you want to get life right, you have to be on the side of Jesus. You have to listen to him. That brings us to the first now what of the day. And this is for you. Wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, if you're watching online later, if you're watching now live, you have to answer the question, are you really on the side of truth? Do you want the truth? Do you desire the truth? Dare I say, can you handle the truth? And if that is the case, then you have to make a conscious choice to ask Jesus to help you learn to listen to him, and then you have to do it. 
you have to make a conscious decision that you want to live your life on the side of truth. And so what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody in the room, just kind of bow your heads for just a minute. This is prayer number one of a few that we're going to do this morning. And I want you to do something for me because your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. If you would like for me to pray with you the same thing that I pray for myself, God, help me learn to listen to you better. Just lift your hand up real quick and put it back down. I want to, I want, God, I want, I want to listen to you better. Just put it up and put it back down. There you go. Okay. You're not looking. I am. Most people in this room just raise their hand. So let me pray for you for just a minute, and then we're going to kind of jump back into the study. Lord Jesus, we, we need to know the truth. And the issue really isn't whether we can handle it or not. The issue is whether we're willing to live by it. Lord, you give to us what we need. We have the truth of your word that we anchor to. Uh, we have those that you have placed in our life that are anchored to you that, that, that can speak wisdom and help us understand how to apply that truth to our life. We, we know that there's a way that we're supposed to live, things that we're supposed to do. As God, each day of our life, we have to make a choice. Are we going to live by your truth? Lord, we want to be on your side. And so that's a prayer that I offer for not just myself, but for all the folks in this room, the people online who in that moment just raise their hand. It's something we need. We need to make sure we land on the side of truth because when we do, we're better prepared to face this world that we live in. Help us to do that. Help us to apply that to our life. Help us to be willing to open our eyes and seek the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, see, we're not done yet. I know some of you guys forgot what I said already, and you were already heading out the door. Whew, now take a deep breath. That's one point, one prayer. Not bad. Do I get the clock? You still got time. So we're going to keep going. The second thing I want you to see is not, should we not just be on the side of truth, but then there is a question of truth, the question of truth. It prompts Pilate in this conversation he's having with Jesus to ask a question that clanks its way through history like a pinball in an arcade machine. He says in verse 38, what is truth? Wow. That's a question. What is truth? The question that um, Pilate asked years ago is a question that has confused people, played with their heads, caused them to get off track for all the years since he asked the question. Because a lot of things can have some truth in them. A lot of things can look like truth. But there really is only the truth. Because truth has to originate from somewhere. There's no way that Pilate knew the implications of the question he was asking. He was asking what he thought was a simple question to retort back to Jesus in a conversation. But he was asking a question that causes us to dig down into the depths of who we are and what we're going to be. And so when Jesus comes to testify to the truth, it meant so much more than Pilate's question. And the point that Jesus is making here is that he doesn't come simply to tell us the truth. He doesn't come to point us to the truth. The reality is the point then and the point now is still the same. Jesus is the truth. He said it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. What did he say? 
I am the truth. And if he is the truth, and there is no other like him, then he then becomes the source of truth. And so the point is still the same. Jesus is the truth. So what does that mean to you now, right now, in this place, in this day? What does that mean in your world? See, because all of us have moments when we think we're right, and we find out later that we're not. It doesn't mean we're lying. It just means we were mistaken. It just means we made a mistake. But Jesus says he doesn't make mistakes because he's the truth. And each one of us have to decide what we're going to do with that. See, a minute ago I asked you, are, do you want to live your life on the side of truth? Do you want to learn to listen to him? The problem is if you decide that you want to listen to him, then you have to decide that he really is going to be the source that you draw from for your life. Most people want Jesus and a bunch of other things. They want a little bit of God and a whole lot of other stuff that they can use as their source. Jesus says, I'm the truth. You want to know the truth? I'm the truth. You want to live by truth? You have to start with truth. If you want to build your life on anything that's solid and won't crumble, you have to choose the truth. Which brings me to my second. Now what? See, we've already hit two. We're rolling. You say, we're going to be out of here early. No, you're not. Um, But the question for you now to ask yourself is, do you have that source of truth in your life? Are you building your life on the truth that is God? You've said you want him to speak to you. Now, if he speaks to you, are you going to do something with it? Because you ought not ask the question if you don't want to do anything with the answer. You're not asking him to do something if you're not going to do anything with what he tells you. And so are you willing to be a person that wants to take your life, every single part of your life, and build your world around the truth of Jesus? If so, then that too becomes the second prayer for today. The prayer that you ask God to help you to live his truth in the world around you and that you build every area of your life on that foundation of truth. Bow your heads, hearts, close your eyes again for just a moment. Again, the question I want to ask you is, do you want me to pray with you? And just say, hey, Jeff, I I want you to pray with me because like you, I need help in this area. I need to make sure that the decisions I make, the choices I make, the things I do, I'm building my life on the truth that I can hold on to, that truth of Jesus. If you would ask me to pray that with you, just again, raise your hand up real quick where you are. Put it back down. Simple. Anyone else? Okay. Let's pray. God, again, we come to you and we simply say, we are people who live in a world where we're bombarded with information. There's so much stuff that we hear. And we desperately need to know the truth. Many of us prayed a few moments ago that we would learn to listen to you. And this is really a prayer that would force us to put into action in our lives the stuff that you tell us, the marching orders that we get, the reality that you show to us. As God, my prayer for each one of us is that we would be people that would be willing to let our lives be built upon something that lasts, something that doesn't get moved, something that is strong no matter what we face. We desire to live our lives 
on the truth. So God, our prayer is that we would discover that you are the answer to the question, what is truth? And that that would change everything about our existence from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, it's two down. One more to go. Last thing I want you to see is nothing but the truth. Nothing but the truth. See, we live in a world where truth is a word that we throw around a lot. We have a lot of people that say, well, I trust and live by my own personal truth. You have somebody say to you, well, that's true for you. That's your truth. That's not my truth. Because my truth is this. And they begin to tell you what their truth is. And we live in a culture that, that just kind of bounces around thinking that they can create their own personal truth. And that when they live that way, it, it's going to be fine. But see, your own personal truth may not get you where you want to go. Your own personal truth is not going to get you where you need to go. And your own personal truth may not be an expression of what's really true. But we live in a world where people rely on their own personal truth to make decisions, and they make those decisions, and those decisions in a word are awful. And if you're living your life making decisions on what your personal truth is that you've gleaned from somebody else or you've gotten from somebody else, then you are not going to find happiness. You're not going to find fulfillment. You're not going to find answers. You're not going to find joy. You're not going to find peace. You won't find satisfaction. You won't find meaning. You won't find purpose. Because you don't know enough to have a personal truth that will stand the test of time. And yet, we hear that phrase all the time. And heaven forbid you say anything that contradicts someone else's personal truth because they believe their personal truth is gospel. And I got news for you, that's two steps short of dumb. Because if you convince yourself that you're good enough to create a personal truth that will define and make this universe work and then it can't be questioned, you don't get it. You don't understand. See, Understand that this is a significance because Pilate and Jesus are having a conversation. Jesus is truth. Pilate says, what is truth? He's questioning truth itself. And truth has an answer. See, when you question someone else's personal truth, they take it as offensive because they got no answer for you. Why? Because they ain't got no truth. They don't have enough brain power to create their own truth that's going to last and hold up. It just doesn't work that way. Here's how I know. Are you the smartest person in this room? Well, you don't have to give testimony. But I'm just saying, we look around this room and we think, well, I might be the smartest one in here. We look around, we take inventory, you think, well, I'm smarter than that person, but I'm not smarter than that person. <laughs> that person might be smarter. They're quiet. I don't know about them. We try gauging our lives based on what we know and how smart we think we are. And then we make decisions about that. We begin to build our truth. But here's what we all know. 
for truth to exist, there has to be a source that that truth comes from that is trustworthy. And that's where I run into a problem with your own personal truth. That's where you should have a problem with my own personal truth. Because if you want to live your life by Jeff Dixon's own personal truth, you're living your life based on a tragically flawed sinner's personal truth. And if you ask me to live and respect your own personal truth, all I can respect is the fact that you're a tragically flawed, broken sinner just like me. And so I'm already smart enough to know you're not smart enough either. And that's the untold secret of the people who live in this personal truth. You just accept what I do. It's my personal truth. It's got to be right. No, no, you're wrong. And I'll use the S word here. You're silly. And that is a conversation that always gets you in trouble. It's a conversation that always gets you in the place you don't need to be. See, during the pandemic, we saw this on full display. Most of us are survivors of the pandemic. And here's how I know that. You're here. Had you not survived the pandemic, of course, you would not be here. So we've come through what have been, well, we promised, uh, you know, do you remember back when it was only going to be two weeks? <laughs> two weeks, it'll be two weeks. Two weeks, everything's going to go back to normal. Why, that was great, wasn't it? Two weeks turned into a month, two months, three months, then a year, and then vaccines started. There were jabs on every corner, lines for jabs. People never left their jammies. They stayed at home, worked behind their computers, streamed Netflix till they ran out of content on Netflix. Then they added Paramount Plus. And, they, and we, just, we just spent our life, but what was happening is this was on display in our culture, and it defines our culture. What was the phrase that we heard over and over again? Trust the science. Anybody remember that? Did it make you want to gag? It did me. Because the truth is, and listen to me close, science is silent. It always has been. Science is silent. Scientists always speak on behalf of science. Science don't say anything. Scientists speak on behalf of science. Science isn't going to be wrong. And an interesting phenomenon that's right now, if you're paying any attention in the world, is that science all of a sudden is running back toward theology. The longer we move through history, the more we move through time, science is coming back toward theology right now. It's a topic for another time. But scientists, like I need to say, they're wrong all the time. I'm not saying it's intentional. Don't misread that. But you know why they're wrong, right? Because they're tragically flawed, broken human beings, just like you. And so you have imperfect people trying to handle science. And as a result, they're going to make mistakes. So how many times do we hear something different along the way during the pandemic that we all went through? Put on a mask, take off your mask. Sneeze in your elbow, don't sneeze in your elbow. Lick the door handle, don't lick the door handle. I mean, all the things that they were telling us to keep us healthy and well, they, they said over and over again. And, and we found out that scientists, they can be mistaken. 
And there was a statement, a particular person, and I'm going to say this to you, and I don't want you to put on your political lens, because this is not political, because here's the deal. I don't give a rip about your politics. I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. Because here's what I know about our Savior. He wasn't any of those things. Yet you take him into the voting booth every time. So if you vote Democrat, you made Jesus a Democrat. Hopefully you did it right. If you made Jesus a Republican, you made Jesus a Republican. Hopefully you did it right. If you kept Jesus as an independent, well, hopefully you did that right. That makes him happy. Because if you're a follower of God, he lives in you, then you just take him in the voting booth with you and you just vote anywhere you want. Just make sure it falls under the Lordship of Christ. That's what I care about your politics. Pretty simple. When you vote, you're not casting a valentine. You're casting a vote. When you vote for someone, you don't love them. You're making a chess piece, a chessboard move in a world of checkers. That's how a good Christian will vote. So take your political lens off and listen to what I'm saying. The statement that split America down the middle then and continues to split America down the middle today is when one Dr. Anthony Fauci said, if you question me, you're questioning the science because I am the science. In that one moment, he fired a shot that went through our culture that we still have not rebounded from, and it will be years before we ever do. I don't care whether you like him or don't like him. I don't care whether you believe him or you don't believe him. He was wrong because he's not science. Never has been, never will be. He was a liar in a lab coat. Because when you claim to be something you're not, it's not true. There's no other way to parse it. The science didn't lie. Those that delivered the science, they may have had another agenda. That's for you to decide. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that a good scientist knows what science is. And science can't explain everything. For example, science can't prove the disciplines of mathematics and logic. You know why? Because it presupposes them. Science needs mathematics and logic to do science. So science can't prove mathematics and logic. Go figure. Science can't do that. Science can't prove metaphysical truths like minds other than my mind exist. See, out there right now, you have no proof that I have a mind. Science can't prove that. But you know what? I can't prove you have one either. Because there's nothing scientifically we can do to do that. Science doesn't work in that realm. Science is unable to provide truth in the areas of morals and ethics. So you can't use science to prove that a Nazi is an evil person. Although we have all the science, we believe that, but that doesn't come from science. Science has no tools at its disposal to prove that. So science can't do that. Science can't move into that realm. Science is incapable of stating truths about aesthetic positions such as, oh, the sunrise is beautiful. Science can't prove that. The night is a gorgeous night. Science can't do anything with that. There's nothing that science does that can prove, disprove that. You can't test that. And someone will say, well, I'm, I'm just practical. Science is the only source of objective truth. When you make that claim, that's a philosophical claim. That can't be proved by science either. See, you have to understand the limitations of what we hold on to for truth. And people who plow their way through life and they just say, well, I just trust the science. No, you don't even know what science is. 
you're trusting the wrong truth. So when someone says trust the science, there's a gap between the source and the voice. Science is fine. The voice representing science? Not always so much. You have a doctor give you a wrong diagnosis. You ever go to the doctor and get medication for something and it just didn't work? That's why they call it the practice of medicine. They're practicing on you. No, nothing definitive. Taking the best shot. Great intentions. I'm doing it on purpose. Might miss it. That's the way it works. See, as humans, we perceive the truth and try to embrace it, but we can't embrace it ourselves. Jesus makes a statement like no one else has made. He is truth. He is saying there's no gap between the voice and the source. I am the source of truth. I am the voice of truth. This is the only place you ever find that. He's the only person that can ever make that statement. He's the only one that can definitively declare that. He is not perceiving the truth. He's the singular source of all truth and what can be trusted. He is the science and the scientist. He can be trusted because he knows all. He's never going to get lost because he's both the compass and the North Star. And truth exists in our world today for one reason and one reason only, because God is God and that's the way he made it. Take him out of the mix. There is no truth in our world. Back in the passage, verse 37, Pilate says, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you say I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world was to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Jesus could have looked at Pilate and said, you want to know what the truth is? You're looking at him, son. He could have. He'd have been right. But the genius of Jesus is that he takes truth and makes it personal. The issue is not whether you're right, not whether you're wrong, but whether you're true. Can you be trusted? Because Jesus is the truth. You never will be. But Jesus makes you true. What I mean by that is that when you define truth, and we did this earlier, you're living in accordance with the actual, the real, the factual state or conditions. By connecting to the truth, you become, the, you become and discover the way to be true. So, if you live your lives by your true feelings, you already know that you can't live your life by your true feelings unless those feelings are routed in the truth of Jesus. And if how you feel lines up with Jesus, guess what? You can trust those. He's truth, you're true. You live your life with understanding what has true value. Well, that may or may not be true. Now, if you're valuing the same things that Jesus values, then you found something with true value, true treasure. You may be saying, well, I have true intentions. Really? If your intentions are rooted in the direction that Jesus wants you to go, you have true intentions. And so the issue is, you'll never be true until you connect to truth. You'll never be truth. You ain't got the stuff. But you can be true if you 
want to be. See, Jesus shifts the conversation from information to essence. We live in a world that wants to think that truth is just about facts. It's not. That's information. Truth is about essence. Where's the truth coming from? Information is a dangerous weapon in the hands of a person who's not true. If the person is not true, then they're not anchored to truth. They can't be trusted. See, we're told by John that Jesus says he wants us to worship in spirit and truth. He also records that when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide us in truth. I think that sometimes we may have missed the deeper meaning of all of that. Truth is found in Jesus alone. Not in people's sincerity, belief, or desire. See, I can sincerely believe that a wrong key is going to open the door. So I can take that key, because I sincerely believe it, try to put it in the lock, and it's probably not going to fit. And it's definitely not going to open the door. No matter how sincere I am, even though my intention is to open the door, eh, not going to do it. I can pick up a bottle of poison, and I say, this is Good-looking lemonade. And I can throw it and chug it back. And I can believe with all of my heart that it's lemonade. But it ain't going to be a country time. It's going to be a funeral time. Because the poison's going to do in my body what poison does. And it doesn't matter whether I believe it would or not. That's not the way that it works. I might strongly desire that my car keep running. When I'm in the middle of nowhere and the gas gauge reads E. Meaning there's no fuel in the car. Nothing in the tank and no gas station in sight. Now, my desire might be that car just keep running. And I can desire that with all of my heart. And I can be sincere in that desire. I can believe that with everything that is in me. And you know what's going to happen? I'll be calling AAA. Because at the end of the day, your sincerity, belief, and desire doesn't make it work because you can sincerely be wrong. And so I would say, if you're going to be wrong, be sincere about it. But don't make the false claim that you're truth. And don't you dare say, oh, I live my own personal truth. If you do that after today, yeah. See, the only real truth that matters is truth that changes us. And if truth doesn't make you true, then it's a lie. If you build your life on a lie, then you're a liar. And that's sobering for me as a follower. Because if I want to live the genius life that Jesus has for me, and I've been transformed by loving God, I've got to be more loving. So do you. See, if I want to live the genius life that Jesus has for me and I've experienced forgiveness, which I have, then I have to learn to be more forgiven. If I want to live the genius life that Jesus has for me and I've been recreated by my creator, then I have no excuse for not being something different than I was yesterday. And God's not done with me yet. And I can keep being who I was created to be. If I belong to the one who's good and beautiful, I should be able to share that goodness and beauty with the world around me if I'm connected to truth. And it's true in me.
Jesus said, he is truth. If you are a follower, then we're a reflection of what Jesus said is truth. And so your last now life is simple. Ask Jesus to make you a true genius and be true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to the end of what has been a roller coaster in some ways. Ups and downs of looking at things in ways we've never looked at them before. We've looked inside and outside and we've looked around at all the ways that you work in our world around us and we have discovered that you really are truth. And that changes how we deal with people, changes our conversations, changes what we do. And so Lord, my prayer for each one of us this day is that you would make us the true geniuses that you have set us apart to be. It can happen. Because you're truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.